0: your first time, I want you to know we are in a series called I Quit. I quit. I'm not going to ask you to quit your jobs, quit your ministries, or quit your boyfriends or girlfriends, which you probably should sometimes. Um, but I'm asking you to quit some of your bad habits. The, the Bible says that the Christian life or following Jesus is not like a sprint. It's like a what? Marathon. And so in order to win a marathon, you had to shed some extra weight which may be the boyfriend or the girlfriend that you shouldn't be hanging out with. But there are also some bad habits we need to quit. And last week, we talked about the first thing that we need to quit. Do you guys remember what that was? I quit making... You guys are so awesome. And today, we are talking about I quit comparing. Ooh, Don't look at the person you're comparing yourself to right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. And um, and I remember when uh, the comparison game began for me. It was middle school. Her name was Bianca. <laughs> and um, and she she had like really white powdery skin. It was, and then she had these really thick drawn eyebrows. And she had this trapper keeper with a picture on the outside that had two clown faces. One said, "Smile now." cry later she was a certified cholita and i thought she was awesome but she thought my friend jeff was more awesome i know so after two weeks of dating and in middle school years that's a long time after two weeks of dating jeff his pain was my gain I know, I know. You kind of clap, but you're like, feel bad. But you know, if you were in middle school and you saw Bianca, you would know my pain or my gain. So I attempted, I attempted to date her. I did. But the words just wouldn't come out of my mouth because I was so intimidated by her, like, looks and, and, and the fact that she dumped my friend. And, and so the best attempt at a pickup line was one words with two letters. hi. hi. And she did not seem interested in saying hi back. And it was at that point I entered into a game that I was losing. Ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. Because from that point on, there was two types of people. There was these single middle schoolers. And there was these dating middle schoolers and high schoolers. And I thought something was wrong with me because I judge my value based on whether or not I was in a relationship. And since my first girlfriend didn't come till 12th grade, I, uh, I, I had a very lonely middle school and high school years. And I struggled with comparing myself to the people around me. And I wonder if you have ever struggled with comparing, but I know I'm the only one, right? I'm the only <laughs> one. it's hot in here but it's true it's so true the comparison game was a game that i entered into and i realized i was losing because there was always somebody with a bigger er than me you know bigger er see we all want a bigger er attached to our adjectives that describe ourselves we all want to be rich er skinny er tall er Funnier, t- uh, happier, hipper, and more talented. Er, <clears throat> and and the more ers that we can add to those adjectives, the more significance we find. And the funny thing is, it doesn't stop when we start dating. We want our like partners or boyfriends and girlfriends or spouses we want them to have a bigger er also because it's not about them being smarter or handsomer or like you know whatever richer it's about what people think about you and we've tried to we try to play cool though we're like oh i just want the best for my for my man i just want him to be you know reach his full potential (laughs) yeah right and and it doesn't stop when you get married too and it's a vicious cycle. And then there, there's, an other, there's another side to this comparison coin. Is that when we meet somebody that maybe has less-er than us, maybe they are shorter, poorer, heavier, nerdy-er, we start to feel superior. And maybe some of you are here, you, you don't have a problem with er, you have a problem with est. You want to be the richest, smartest the talentedest and 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 here's the thing that I don't want you to miss I know the thing I don't want you to miss is that there's no win in comparison repeat that after me there's no win in comparison there's no win in comparison and so where do we go to get off this roller coaster of comparison where do we go where do we find answers how do we get off how can we live a life comparison free Well, I'm glad you asked. Because tonight we're going to talk and hear from three really wise people in the Bible that address the issue of comparison. First, we're going to talk to Solomon. Then we're going to talk to Paul. And last, we're going to talk to the wisest guy of them all, (laughs) Jesus. Someone said Steve. That was really good. (laughs) Uh, So before we get started, would you please pray with me and uh, pray for yourselves real quick. And ask the Holy Spirit, to speak to you directly. Father, tonight, may we we rest in the success of knowing that we belong to you. May we find no greater joy in being able to call you Abba, Father. Help us to stop (laughs) comparing Help us to stop making excuses. And I pray against the enemy's attack against our mind. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if this is your first time, if you, you know, just stumbled in here because you saw hot girls and free food, you're welcome. Um, uh, There, um, you could just borrow someone's Bible. You know, this is probably a good time for you to just lean over to the girl that you want to hang out with and say, hey, you know what? I I forgot my Bible at home. You know, can we, you know, just open the Bible to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 8. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 8. And so what we're going to hear right now, um, we're hearing from a guy named Solomon. He is the wisest guy. He's the guy probably with the most er than them all. Like, he will always be known for the person in history with the, with the most er his wives are going to be hotter than any of our wives his his kingdoms are going to be bigger than any of our kingdoms he's always going to be wiser than any of us combined put together in fact kings and queens from all surrounding nations used to come to this wise guy and sit under his tutelage and learn how to lead from his wisdom cuz this guy was so wise and i don't think he was even a king i think he was a judge And they would go see Solomon, teach us King Solomon how to be a better leader. He is also responsible for one of the the seven wonders of the ancient world. I mean, this guy is so wise. And at the end of his life, he sits down and writes a book called Ecclesiastes. And he, he just starts writing down some of his observations. And it says here in Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 8, and I saw that all the toil and all the achievement sprang from one person's envy of another. That's right, Jordan. <laughs> this, too, is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Let me read that one more time, just, just in case you didn't get it. And I saw that all toil and all achievement sprang from one person's envy of another basically he's sitting back he's saying oh i i see what, where people are working and they're toiling so hard toil means work and it's all comes from one place it comes from one person looking at another person and saying am i okay i'm okay uh are my fa- finances okay mm, my fa- my finances are okay oh are my grades okay my grades are okay Am I okay as a person, left, right? I'm not okay. Is my fitness okay? I'm not okay. And this is what Solomon is seeing. people's toil springs from the people that they're comparing themselves to. (laughs) It's funny. Because if I were to ask Solomon, fine, if I'm not going to compare, then what should I do? Should I just do nothing? Well, then verse 6 happens, and he says, Well, only fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. If you do nothing, that's called disaster, destruction. You will implode on yourself. When you stop comparing and you stop doing nothing, then you will head to disaster. See, people's lives should inspire you to work harder, stronger towards a goal that's worth giving your life to, it shouldn't discourage you. And as soon as it does, well, that's when comparison has you by the neck. So what's the solution, Solomon? Well, he wrote verse 8. Let's see what it says. Better one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil. And that is chasing after the wind. So let me read that again. Verse 8. Verse 8, verse 6, better one handful with tranquility than two hands with toil and chasing after the wind. So what he's saying is, in life, people are, you know, chasing after you know are working they're trying to measure up to whatever they think they're measuring up to whether it's somebody with a bigger house bigger boat more friends more fame more instagram followers they're working and they're striving and they are trying to get as much as possible to fit in their lives in their two hands and they have two hands grasped around as much as they can handle but there's no room for god to give you anything else and the, and, and the idea is if you are working your buns off trying to become quote-unquote successful there's no room for God to change your direction so it's better for you to have one hand open and the idea is that God can put in or take out whatever he wants and you would have a whole another hand free you'd start to have margin in your schedule You would start to be able to breathe every once in a while because you're not taking on everything. One hand open with just enough and have peace instead of two hands without peace. All you get is toil. No tranquility, no peace with two hands clenched. But one hand open, that's what Solomon says. So the question The question that I want to ask you tonight is who or what am I looking to to determine if I'm okay? Who or what am I looking to to determine am I okay? Is it your dad? Is it your boss? Is it the person you're next to? Is it your girlfriend, boyfriend? Or is it just society? Is it an organization? Who or what are you looking to to determine whether or not you're okay. Remember this. There is no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. You just lose. There's no, there's no peace, nothing but toil. So that's the first thing we learn from King Solomon. Now let's learn from Paul. Point two. Point two. Take your cue from the one who made you. Take your cues from the one who made you. Let's look at Galatians 4, 6 through 7. Paul says this in Galatians 4, 6 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters. God sent his son, or God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also his heir. Okay, so Paul is talking to a group of people who completely understand these term analogies. Uh, the first thing I want, you to, I want to point out is this law that we are all born with. It says, um, it says we're born under a law. We're born under a law. So whether you believe in God or, or not tonight, you are, are included in this law. It's the law that says we ought or should it's the law that says, wow, I shouldn't do this, whether or not someone told you. It's a law that says, oh, I ought to do this, or people ought to do this, or we ought to treat women like this. We ought to treat men like this. We ought to treat babies like this. That sense of ought is part of a law that lives within us. Like, we ought to not steal from somebody else. Whether or not you read the Ten Commandments, that law lives in your heart. And at some extent, we feel condemnation for breaking that law. Whether, you not, whether or not you believe in God or not, you felt the strain of this law. And Jesus, well, Jesus came to redeem you, to buy back what you owe. Whatever you did, to, when you broke in this law, you broke an eternal law, and, and you violated an, an, an eternal being called God. And the only viable punishment for violating an eternal being is eternal death. And so in order to redeem you, the word redeem, you know, like, when you go, like, when you get a Christmas gift and you, like, redeem it for, like, a gift card so you can get something awesome? um, That's redeemed. Like, so you were bought back. So the price that you paid, God paid for it with his son. So essentially, if you choose to follow Jesus, there's a price tag on your back, and it reads the word Jesus Christ and him crucified. You have been redeemed. So now... You don't have to have a formal relationship with God as if he's something far away. You don't have to wonder if you're okay anymore because God has redeemed you. And you are okay because the price that Jesus paid makes you more valuable than anything you can experience on earth. So far, so good. Are you with me, people? Let's put it this way. Okay, first of all, I got to tell you this Abba Father thing. Um, it's really interesting. the um, The idea of calling God Abba is like saying the word. It's it's the most informal way you can refer to God, as in dad or daddy. Like it's so informal. Like God is the Father. They have like there. There's a hidden you know word for God that you can't even pronounce it. It, it sounds like Yahweh. You know, like that's. Like, that's like the, the closest term and the the, the the most honorific term that we have for God is this, you know, Y-A-H-W-H. It's this weird, you know, conglomerations of words, of letters, that we can't even pronounce it. But he's saying the spirit that that lives in us, the spirit that that is in Christ that lives in us, if you choose to follow him, is a spirit that allows you access to God and, and to the most intimate places where you can... Where he can listen to you and you can say, Daddy. And guess what? He doesn't compare you to the person next to you. Think about it. Who do perfect parents compare their babies to? Nobody, right? They post those pictures on Instagram and they think they're awesome, but they're not. (laughs) They are not. But they don't care. Because perfect parents don't compare their babies to other people's babies. Not even imperfect parents do that. Not even average parents do that. So my next question is Who do you think God compares you to? How who do you think your heavenly father compares you to? Does he He does not. I got got another question. Whose estimation about you should you believe? Yours or God's? Whose estimation about you should you believe? Maybe we should take our cue from the one who made you, the one who loves you and the one who redeemed you. There's no win in this comparison game. And we can take our cue from the one who made us and the one who redeemed us. But what if you're one of those, those people who says, you know what, God made me, but he didn't make me with much. God made me, but I don't have a whole lot. And and the interesting thing is is that God actually has given you a lot. And the question that I want to ask you is, what are you going to do with what God has given you? What are you going to do about it? Let me tell you what Jesus has to say about it. Matthew 25. Jesus is, in Matthew 25, 14 through 15, Jesus is... Telling a parable, you guys know what a parable? Raise your hand if you know what a parable is, dude. You guys are super smart. Oh my goodness! A parable is a story with a surprise. You guys like surprises? No, I don't. It's a story with a surprise. <laughs> a story depends on what the surprise is. Like I get freaked out. Like you know, as soon as the lights go out, I like run to my bed and just like put my heads over the cover. I'm just like, no surprises, please. Um. So there's a surprise in the story, and, and this, this story actually comes in uh, a list of multiple parables that Jesus is teaching. And then this particular story, Jesus is teaching people about what heaven's point of view is like. What is heaven's point of view? What does heaven think of me? What does heaven think of you? Well, this is what Jesus has to say. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his wealth. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Someone say ability. ability. Then he went on his way. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more bags. But, hmm, the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole into the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, the people who are listening to Jesus tell the story, they already know what's going to happen. They're like, oh, something bad's going to happen to that guy, right? Like, this is like, don't, t- don't spoil the ending, but I know what's going to happen. That's what they're thinking, okay? And that's what I'm thinking, too. Uh, but I read this before, and some of you guys know this one as well. Um, <clears throat> after a long time, and... When you read something like this after a long time in the Bible, that means after a lifetime, okay? Lifetime in the Bible. After a lifetime, the master came to those servants and returned and settled accounts with them. You guys know what happened. Five bags of gold, five more. Two bags of gold, two more. One bag of gold, what? Nothing. Verse 22, let's look at verse 23. No, for 22, 22. It's really interesting because I, I know I don't want to get bore you guys too long. But the guy with the five bags, he says, hey, master. It's like he starts off his sentence with, master, you entrusted me with all this. Here, I have five more for you. I'm a good boy. The second one, hey, master, you've entrusted me with this bags. Hey, here we go. And he says, and then the master says, you've been a good boy. And then the one... And then the guy with the one bag, the one bagger, the one bagger does this. He doesn't say master. Well, he says, well, this is what he says. Let's just go. The man with the, uh, verse 24, thank you. Then the man, see, like, verse 24 happens. It's like I can hear the Jaws music playing in the background, like something bad is going to (laughs) happen. Then the man who had received one bag of gold, said master he said i knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds so i was what's that word oh (laughs) such a bad excuse so i was afraid and i went out and i hid your gold in the ground see here's what belongs to you his master replied, You wicked, also translated worthless, lazy servant. <laughs> so you knew all this stuff about me and you still didn't do anything? That's my translation. So take this bag of gold, give it to the one who had 10, and kick this lazy servant out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the last verse. So the moral of the story is if you don't make money, you go to hell. Let's pray. Jesus! Oh, no, just. Kidding. That is not what the moral of this story is. Thank you) Lord. Better make that cheddar. So, it's translated bag of gold. It could be translated as talent. A talent or a bag of gold was the equivalent of up to 40 years of wages. So just because you hear one bag of gold, that's not some measly, like, you know, piece of, uh, you know, a gesture. It's not a, it's not a gesture of, like, niceness. It's not a, it's not a uh, what's that, you know, when you, when you get third place or you get, like, fourth place. Or it's not a participation medal, right? Like, getting a bag of gold can be literally worth up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. It is not it's nothing to you know to smirk at. And each one was given to their abilities. So, like a good leader, you assess the abilities of the people that you have working on your organization and you give them responsibilities accordingly. And so this master went off for a long time and gave him responsibilities according to accordingly. And he entrusted him. It wasn't theirs, it belonged to the master, but he entrusted their estate. Comprende? we good? So where's the surprise in the story? Because Jesus usually tells these stories, and there's a surprise. You want to know what the surprise is? You are a two-bagger. Congratulations. You are a two-bagger. You know why? Because there's always somebody with five bags, and there's always somebody with one bag, whether you look to the right or to the left. And the best that we can hope for is to do the best with what we have. Because what we don't have doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Jesus tells these stories, but they don't necessarily have the most, like, you know, uplifting ending. Because calling you a two-bagger probably doesn't sound the best. But the truth is, you might have felt like the one in the middle. I don't have as much as this person. I clearly have more than that person. But what you have does not matter. It's what you do with what you have that matters. You know, like, the stories like the best stories aren't the ones where you start out with a whole lot of stuff and then you end up with a whole lot of stuff. Like that's a Kardashian story that I can just change the channel to <laughs> any day. But the best stories are those ones that, that start with nothing or start with some disability or start with whatever and they make something. Because if you talk to any successful person, it doesn't matter what you start out with. All that matters is what you do with what you have. I got a fun little story for you. Um well it's pretty you know it's 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 really personal for me. There's this pastor, mega church pastor, 50,000 people, it's one of the most influential churches in America. And I heard about how he got started in ministry as a as a public speaking pastor. And what he what he did, he was he was a, he was a um he was a video editor for 13 years for his dad's like christian tv show like so basically he would like preach and they would broadcast the message and it was like a smaller pretty sizable church it was like six thousand people and um and for 13 years he just all this guy did was cut and edit and it was not like like you know like iMovie or anything they're like this is like cassette tapes He literally cut um and for 13 years he did this but one day his dad called him and said son uh, I, I'm in the hospital, and I can't preach this weekend. I need you to preach. And he's like, and he looked up to his dad so much. I mean, he was a phenomenal preacher, and um, he's like, I, I, I can't, Dad. He's like, you know my sermons better than anybody. You're, you're you're all we have. So so he 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 so so what he did is he got one of his dad's sermons, try to memorize it, and he went up. And he preached, and he got the courtesy applause. You know the courtesy applause. Thank you. You can practice. You guys want to practice the courtesy applause? Thank, thank you. I literally feel demoralized right now. Um. So, so he got the courtesy applause, and but people were like, "Oh, they love the pastor's son. They're like, oh, nice boys. Good." And so they, um, you know. And and, and, he, and then later on that week, his, he got a phone call, the son. Uh, his dad passed away. His dad died. And the people of the church were looking to him to, to, to fill his dad's shoes. And every week, he would do the same thing, pick up one of his dad's messages and try his best, even to the point where he would literally put on his dad's shoes Every week, he was mediocre at best. Until one day, he decided that he was going to be his true authentic self. No matter what the consequences were, because he's responsible to God, and so he was going to be himself. And he wrote his own messages, and he decided to be his authentic self. And then the church started to grow from 6,000 to 10,000 to 25,000 to 50,000, and now is currently one of the biggest churches in America. And this story encourages me as I f- still feel fairly new as your college pastor, and thank you for allowing me to be that. And, and this year, I'm reminded of what it means to be your authentic self. Because the best I can ever hope for is to know that I'm in the center of God's will. Nothing more, and nothing less. That I can wake up and say, Abba, Daddy, Father. That my measurement of success no longer hinges upon what I have or what I don't have. Pretend like in this box is what God has entrusted you. And in this box... Represent your life. The first thing is this wallet. It represents your wealth, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Where's the fork? This fork represents your health, whether it's good or bad, whether you feel like you're lacking something or lacking nothing, whether you're gluten intolerant or you have a major disease. Where's the guitar pick? Uh, Oh, there it is. Oh, Krista, I got it. It's black, and it's black in there. It's so hard. (laughs) Um, This guitar pick represents, literally, your talents. Your creative talents. Your mathematical talents. Your, I don't know, um, maybe some talents are harder to measure. They're intuitive talents, emotional talents. Here you go. I don't want to forget that. And this book represents your education. Oh, this is a hard one for me because you guys know my struggle with education. Maybe, maybe reading is hard for you. I mean, you, you can tell by how crisp my textbook is that I didn't do a whole lot of it. But nevertheless, my life. And lastly, this key represents your personal story. (sighs) What you have in your box matters a whole lot less than what you do with what you have. What are you going to do with what you've been entrusted? This key for me represents public speaking. And on this key, it says authentic. And no matter how many times I stumble over my words or don't get things perfect, I promise that I will do my best to do exactly what God has asked me to do so that when I lay my head down tonight, I can say, Abba, here you go. You've entrusted me with this, and I did my best to double it. And because God does not compare me to anybody else, God says, You're fine, because you're mine. What if this truth came out of my mouth, into your head, and actually into your heart? And we stopped comparing our lives to other people? And we stopped worrying about how little we have, and we started to do something about the things that we do have and not worried about what we don't have. What if we could truly celebrate other people's success and leverage, and leverage the things that God has given us for his kingdom? What would happen if we went to bed Knowing that the greatest success that we can possibly accomplish is that we lived in the center of His will, regardless of what people did around us. What would that look like for you in your home? What would that look like on CSUN campus? What would that look like at your job? Would you commit with me, as the band comes up, we're going to invite the band up. Would you commit with me to be your true authentic self that seeks to only find success in being in the center of God's will? Nothing more, nothing less. That we would quit comparing because there's no win in comparison because, of course, there's always somebody with more earth than us. And that we would take our cue from the one who made you, loved you, and redeemed you. And we would do the most with what we had and and not worry about what we don't have. So that we can lay down every single night with a clear conscience that says, Daddy, let's pray. Father. Thank you for what you've given us, and I'm also taking time to thank you for what you have not given me. That you've gifted us according to our abilities. And everything you've given me in my life comes from you the good and the bad. And I surrender that to you. The good and the bad, I choose to use, to leverage, so that you may be glorified to use and to leverage so that I would do the best with what you've given me. That at the end of my time, at the end of a long time, at the end of a lifetime, that I would be able to multiply what you've given me. That I would make the most of what you've given me. And really, Lord God, I just pray that I would not harp anymore on what I don't have or what other people have. Give me the ability to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who mourn that I may truly be content in all circumstances, that I would no longer strive, that I I would literally live with an open-handed life, with complete peace, that I would not close my hands so that you cannot bless me or bless others through me, that I would just live with one hand open and you would bless me with tranquility. And that one hand, the only thing that I want to do today and the only thing I want to do tomorrow is to know that I did your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand. Thanks worship.